0: Father, we bless your name today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church, and thank you so much for being here today. There is nothing that gets your pastor as excited than the chance to talk about missions, and so today is certainly an exciting day. I, too, am very, very thrilled about the change that we see in Mission Fest this year. Our missions committee has revisioned this. We As, as Nanette said, we usually commandeer the Sunday school hour and take over the gym on a Sunday morning like this, and, and rather than that, we're going to be doing three weeks down in the Welcome Center, so I encourage you to go down and peruse around uh, in between worship and Sunday school, maybe after Sunday school, if that's a better fit for you. Go down and look at the opportunities and places that you can be a part, and I do want to give a, a word of thanks to our missions committee for all that they do to drive us and lead us and engage our church body in missions. They are doing a wonderful job. Well, this morning, I want to begin by talking to you and sharing with you about one of the mission trip opportunities that are going to be available to you as a church member. Um, There's going to be a sign-up sheet at Mission Fest. I hope that you'll swing by. But it's a trip in July where our church will be going to Guadalupe, Victoria, Mexico. Um, Guadalupe, Victoria is in the state of Guanajuato. It's the hometown of two of our Hispanic deacons, Gustavo Ramos and Stephen Monreal, and Stephen came to us, came to me as pastor and said, Pastor, I, I have a question for you. And I said, okay, go ahead and, and give me that. He said, you know, he said, I was wondering if our church, I was wondering if my church can go and tell the people of my hometown about the Jesus who changed my life. And when somebody asks a question like that, obviously the answer is 100% yes. Uh, we can go to the people of your hometown and tell them about the Christ who changed your life. And so about two months ago, Brother Lloyd and Stephen Monreal and myself, we went down to Guadalupe, Victoria on a planning trip. Uh, that's all it was supposed to be. We were going to go down. We were going to look for a facility in which to stay, transportation in which to get us around, all the details were going to be put together. But very quickly into this planning trip, Lloyd and Stephen and myself realized that we were not just there for planning, we were there as a leading edge of the missions engagement. And over the course of those three days that we were there, fast and furious, we saw five adults give their life to Christ, twelve children and students accept Christ as Savior. And listen to this, we had, we counted them up, we had about 80 opportunities, 80, 8-0. Eight 80 opportunities to pray with people, to share the gospel with people, to have serious spiritual conversations with people. And so we recognize that we weren't there to plan. We were there literally as the, as the tip of the spear for this July missions effort. So what an amazing trip it was. And today I, I tell you that because you may sit there and you say, Pastor, why did you go on this trip or why do we do these mission things? Well, the answer, folks, is simple, that we're trying to accomplish the incredible missionary task that Jesus gave not only to us, but also to those New Testament disciples, those very first Christians, because you and I serve a missionary God. Um, He is the God who sent his one and only son that we might be saved. And so it's very safe for us to say that almighty God came on mission for us and in the very beginning of the book of Acts, we see this climactic moment where the missionary God gave to his missionary church a missionary task that seemed like mission impossible. Uh, why do you say that today? Well, I say that because to the small band of Christians there in the book of Acts, there were only about 120 people strong. He gave the task of sharing the gospel with the entire world. Now, I've thought about that many, many times, and I have to say, how overwhelming, right? An unbelievable task that he gave 120 people to share the gospel with the entire world. Well, as I've thought about how overwhelming that must feel, I have another missionary example to give you today. How many of you remember back in 2011 when our church sent those teams to Joplin, Missouri after that F5 tornado hit the town? Um, It was a devastating time for Joplin, Missouri, and and so First Baptist Church, Corsicana, we responded with the love of Christ to go help people recover and and put their lives back together. Well, one of the properties that we worked on, I'll never forget this, I was on this team, it was on a hill there at the edge of Joplin, and as you looked out from that hill, you could see the, the total impact of the devastation of that tornado, An F5 tornado does traumatic damage to a community. It was 14 miles long, the path of destruction, one mile wide right through the residential area of Joplin. So as far as you could see, all that you could see was devastation and destruction. Now, here's my thought. Imagine if all of that cleanup was the responsibility of that little team from First Baptist Church, Corsicana. Now, I think the overwhelming feeling that that would have given us is the exact feeling that those new disciples had to feel. Jesus gave the church a missionary task that seemed like mission impossible. So how on earth could they do it? That's really the question of the day. And the only answer is that the plan had to involve a person, a power, and a program. Well, who's the person? Well, obviously, the person is Jesus Christ. It's so appropriate that we talk about missions on the Sunday after Easter because we have a story to tell to the nation. Somebody say amen. And our story is all about Jesus. That's all we care about, to take the message of Christ literally to the ends of the earth. He holds the authority on which we act. And then we have the power. Who does the power come from? the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, right? And the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost upon the New Testament church, and he gives them strength. He does the same thing for us. He gives us strength and force and might and muscle and vigor and intensity, and we have nothing if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. But then there's the program, a person, a power, and a program, and that's what I want to talk to us about today. Now, As your pastor for now 13 years, you've heard me talk about this on many occasions. And so for some of you today, you're going to say, Pastor, I've heard all this before, and I'm proud of that because it's a reminder as to who we are and what we're doing as a church. But if you're our guest today or you're new to our church, then we're going to invite you to join us in the program that God has for us because about 10 years ago, about a decade ago, We adopted a strategy for missions that we're still living by today. And that program, that strategy comes to us from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It centers on Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And I'm going to declare today as I have many times, we are an Acts 1 8 church. We are still committed to being an Acts 1 8 church. So with all of that, take your Bibles in hand and turn with us where? to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Actually, we're going to read all nine verses to give us kind of a pickup to verse 8 and just put it in context for us today. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 9. The author of the book of Acts, many of you know, is Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke, and he gives us this this account of the early church, and this is how he begins. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs. Those are the things we talked about last Sunday, that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. And here's verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Before we're seated this morning, here's my prayer. My prayer is both today and from now on that you will be inspired to be a missionary at home and to the ends of the earth. Let's be a missionary church. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, the title of this message today is You Will Be My Witnesses. And as I said a few minutes ago, today we're going to talk about our churches mission strategy. And so let's just walk it through based on Acts 1-8. Let's start with Jerusalem. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So here's what Jerusalem represents, I believe. It represents people who are like us and people who live near us. In other words, our missionary strategy has to start in our own Jerusalem. It has to start right here in Corsicana, right here in Navarra County. It has to start where we live. I love the story about the young man who seldom came to church, right? He was one of those Easter Sunday guys, right? And that's when he came to church. Uh, He really never demonstrated his faith too much outwardly. And yet one day he found himself in church on a non-Easter. And that day the church had a missionary speaker from Indonesia who challenged the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the young man was inspired, right? So after the service, he goes to his pastor and he tells him, hey, I want to be a part of this. And the wise pastor said this. He said, there's no use in taking a lamp to Indonesia if you won't let it first burn here at home. Now, that pastor has a very good point. If we're not willing to share the gospel with those we know, if we're not willing to share the gospel with those who are right here at home, then how can we ever take the gospel to the ends of the earth? We have to begin where we are. And here's my point. I'm thankful, church, that we are doing this. Now, I want to give you an overview of our hometown missionary strategy. And some of you are aware of this. We actually unveiled it last Mission Fest one year ago, and we've been operating this way for a while, but I'm going to take some significant time to talk about it here for, for a second. It's called Good News Corsicana. That's our hometown missionary strategy, and I want you to envision it as a wheel with a hub. Good News Corsicana is the hub of the wheel, and then off of that wheel, we have all these varied spokes. Now, those spokes all begin with Good News, and they all have GNC. The first one, Good News Café. Now, if you've been a part of First Baptist any amount of time, you know all about the Good News Cafe. Uh, We've served tens of thousands of people meals every single Monday. I think we're doing a wonderful job of sharing God's love one meal at a time, and, and that's our theme. So let's keep doing the Good News Cafe. Now, with the cafe, we also now have launched the Good News Closet. This is our clothes closet, and many of you or some of you are part of that ministry. This is just sharing clothes with people who are in need. And so if you have items that you would like to bring, contact the church. Make sure you know what we need and bring those down. We have a team that facilitates that every single week. Uh, we also had the Good News Clubs, and we talk about the clubs in our church quite often. These are after-school Bible clubs at all of our elementary campuses. Uh, we've seen great success in Good News Clubs even this year. Uh, we're about to launch a brand new, a brand new Good News Club this Tuesday for Sam Houston Elementary. So if you'd like to be a part of that ministry, we need you. Come be a part of that exciting work. Uh, also, here's the next one. We're about to launch this in May, the Good News Cupboard. All right. The Good News Cupboard is a place where homeless people or those who just don't have enough to make ends meet by the end of the month, they can come by to an outdoor cabinet that we're about to install, and it's simply going to be based on this. Leave what you can and take what you need. Uh, you can put uh, non-perishable items in there. You can put cans with a pop-top that somebody can have easy access to. We're going to have people that monitor that on a daily basis to make sure it doesn't get junked out or get yucky in any way. However, it's going to be a way for us to share Christ's love with people who are hungry, the good news cupboard. Uh, We also have good news community or good news cares. Uh, These are community projects where we are literally trying to share the gospel. Good example, we just did the extravaganza out front before Easter. What do we do there? We gave away 300 dozen edible eggs. Yeah, real eggs, right? Uh, 300 dozen. But with those, many of you were a part of this, we built these good news egg sets, plastic eggs. And each one, when you open them, it told the story of the last week of Christ's life. The last egg was empty because Christ rose from the grave. The tomb was empty. And so we shared the gospel. Be praying for those good news egg sets. I can just imagine that they're being shared in living rooms and bedrooms and friends are showing other friends what they got at First Baptist Church. And as they do that, they tell the story of Jesus. And then the last one is good news construction. Good news construction is, is places where we go out and maybe we build a wheelchair ramp for an elderly person. Uh, maybe we go and help with Habitat for Humanity. The men did that several weeks ago. And if you know of a Good News construction project that we can do to love and serve somebody in the name of Christ, let us know about that. So my challenge really overall is this. Be a part of Good News Corsicana. Um, find your place. Take an idea into your Sunday school unit take an idea into your group of friends and say what if we did this come share it with us in the office with our staff and then we'll unleash you to go a good news go do a good news course a can of pro- project let's get focused on missions here at home somebody say amen to that so that's our jerusalem strategy okay so now let's move to judea jerusalem is people that are like us and people who live near us Now, Judea is people that are like us, but they probably don't live near us. And this means that we have to have a special effort to reach them. I mean, they're like us, but they live in a different state, maybe another part of our country. And that trip of Joplin is a Judea-type mission trip. Uh, We've done others like this. We've gone to Bastrop. We've gone to Oklahoma City. We've gone to Dallas and San Antonio and Houston and all of those places. In other words, we had to go somewhere. But when we got there, we found people. Who were very much like us. They were English-speaking Americans who shared our love for our country and and appreciated our help. And and I think we can go to the Bible to also get a good example of what Judea-style missions looks like. So let's go back into Acts, and let me just kind of connect the dots for us. We're going to kind of progress over to Acts chapter 8. So at the beginning of this New Testament work of the church, the Christians, they stayed in Jerusalem. That was their hometown, right? And Peter preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. I always love that story. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. Can you imagine me preaching on a Sunday morning and 3,000 people accept Christ as Savior? How amazing would that be? So in Acts chapter 2, 40, 42, now we're progressing forward, it says they begin to grow as believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But all of that happened where? In Jerusalem. Peter and John go to the temple to pray. They heal a a crippled man, and the crowd gathers. Peter preaches the gospel to them. The the church continues to grow. The Bible says the number of believers grew to about 5,000 people. Folks, that's a mega church in Jerusalem, right? But they still stayed at home. But then the Bible tells us that opposition grows against the church. Stephen is stoned to death because he preaches a sermon. It was a time of intense persecution. So in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, just flip the numbers right, it says they were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. So look at Acts chapter 8 verse 4. Here's what they did when they got scattered. It says those who had been scattered They preached the word wherever they went. They moved out of Jerusalem and they preached the message of Christ to people who were just like them, but were not near them. So that's our example. Folks, we have to do the exact same thing. So I want to challenge you again. This time, not in Jerusalem, but this time in Judea. I want you to start thinking about people who are like us, but they're not near us. I want you to help us create ways that our church can go on mission for them. Uh, let's create Judea-style opportunities as a part of our church's total mission strategy. So, so we have Jerusalem, we have Judea, and now we have Samaria. Christ said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so who is Samaria? Well, here's my simple definition. These are people who are not like us. Now, here's the truth. In our world today, these people can actually live near us. We're just different from them. Let me tell you this powerful story. I I remember several years ago reading about William Borden, uh, William Borden was a young man born into a wealthy American family, Borden's Milk, you might recognize the name, and he traveled all over the world and was compelled, because of his travels, to give his life to God as a missionary. So after he graduated from Yale, he heads to Egypt to begin training to reach the Kansu people. And sadly, before he ever reached the mission field, he contracted cerebral meningitis, and he died at the age of 25. And yet his testimony touched many, many people in his day. And one of his classmates from Yale described Borden's approach this way. And it's very simple. I think you'll connect with it. He said, Bill always hunted down the worst skunk in college. And then he went after him for Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I think that's a Samaritan strategy. We're not supposed to just go to people who are like us. We're also supposed to share the gospel with people who aren't like us. Uh, we're not even supposed to only share the gospel with people whom we like. They may, may be people who we don't even like. We're not supposed to just reach those who are easy to reach. No, we have to go to those that we don't understand, people that scare us. We're supposed to find the worst skunks we can find if you want to get inside the language of William Borden. So God calls us to be witnesses in Samaria. So once again, here comes the challenge. I want you to join me in thinking about people who look like us maybe, but they're not like us. People who might not be like us in any form or fashion. Could we devise a plan for people who are all tattooed up or something like this? People who are all pierced up or something like that? People who are dressed in all goth attire. People that maybe not dress like like you. People of a different race speaking in an accent that's hard for you to understand. People of a total different socioeconomic level. People that are white collar. If you're blue collar or blue collar, if you're white collar, it doesn't matter. If we're really committed to becoming all things to all people so that we might by all means possibly save some we have to put a Samaritan action plan um, in place. So I ask you today to join as a church and let's implement a Samaritan part, to write a Samarian part of our church's missionary strategy. So we have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now where? To the ends of the earth. Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth, let's make it simple. People who are not like us and people who are not near us. So let's talk about ends of the earth people. Many missionologists refer to a certain section of the world as world A. And world A is 24% of the world's population that has no access to the gospel. In other words, they have never heard the message of Jesus. Now, folks, we are responsible to reach those people. You see, in the Great Commission, Jesus said we are to go and make disciple of who, disciples of who? All nations. And I have to attest to this. There's no way that Jesus can be pleased with over 2,000 years after he commissioned the church that 24% of the world still has no access to the saving message of Christ God loves every person on this planet. He wants every single person to hear the gospel. He wants every single person to have a chance to respond. We have to include ends of the earth in our mission strategy. So so that's the mission strategy, right? It's the very thing that Jesus gave to the early church, and it's still the strategy for the church today. It has to be the strategy of First Baptist Corsicana. So let's say, it, let's say it together again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now say this with me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Folks, that's a balanced approach to missions. It not only deals with geography, but it also deals with culture. And I hope it makes sense to you today because we have to do it better and better and better. i close with this story. It was October of 1857, and Hudson Taylor began his amazing missionary work in Ningpo, China. And he led a man named Mr. Ni to Jesus. This man was overjoyed, and he wanted to share his faith with everybody around him. And he said to Hudson Taylor, How long have you had this good news in England? And Hudson Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for centuries, and Mr. Nee looked confused. He said, sir, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? And Hudson had no answer to that penetrating question. So I ask, do we? Let's go and share the gospel with our hometown with those who are like us, with those who are not like us, with those who are even not near us.